This is 4L with Ryan O'Neill and Rebecca DeCosta. Hello, Mr. Coster. Hello, Mr. O'Neill. <clears throat> what I wanted to talk about today was a recent celebrity divorce related topic. You know how I love those. We do love the celeb divorces. We're like the TMZ of <laughs> celeb divorces from the perspective of attorneys. I don't know. I, I refuse to accept that characterization. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't blame you. It makes I do me too. feel immediately slimy and also like I work out too much. Um, because that guy, what's his name? The guy, the TMZ guy. I think he actually is a lawyer too, by the way. He is. And he used to be the guy who would talk to people as they came out of the people's court. Do you remember that? Was he really? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was. <laughs> He's parlayed that whole gig into a pretty lucrative career. I know. He really did. Like the actual practice of law is not really where it's at. It, no. <laughs> That's why we're doing a podcast. That's right. So anyway, um, there was a news story that broke, I think a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago now, um, that the judge in the Angelina Jolie Brad Pitt divorce case had declined Angelina Jolie's request to have the children testify, not be interviewed as to like a custodial preference, but testify as fact witnesses in the divorce case. Um, and she's, you know, very upset about that. And I think is appealing that. Um, but apparently there is a particular part of California code that would allow the children to testify, um, under certain circumstances. And I think from what I've read, it's once they are over a certain age, they can decide. So if they're over 14, they should be allowed to testify if they want to. So yeah. that part of California code, but I guess the judge said no to that. Um, the former Jolie Pitts have kids that are, uh, one kid I think that is over the age of 18. Um, they have one 14-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 17-year-old, and two 12-year-old twins. So I guess that, the 19 year old can be called to testify without restriction, I suppose, because they're emancipated. Um, but the question was about the 17 year old, 16 year old and 14 year old. So um, hmm. I, I, that brings up a lot of issues for me. I don't know if it does for you. Yeah. And I guess it really breaks down to me about whether or not you can call the children as witnesses and whether or not you should. So, and I think what she wants, I, I don't know what she wants him to testify about. Yeah. I haven't seen any coverage about that, but I suspect it's about, you know, bad acts on the part of dad and that sort of stuff. So then I always think there's a third layer to this as well. And, and maybe I'm going down a rabbit hole, but isn't there also a component of the ability of a person to competently testify as a witness? Well, I think that's sort of, for me, that's part of the can you. Like, right. can, can the child um, accurately recall the events that they're being asked to testify about? Do they have personal knowledge? And, and really, most importantly, do they know the difference between a truth and a lie? Do they know what the consequences are of 
not telling the truth or even understand if they're telling the truth. I mean, I imagine, I mean, you, you throw a five-year-old on the witness stand and have them raise their right hand and say, do you swear to tell the truth? The whole, do you affirm that the testimony you're about to give to the court today will be the truth, the whole truth? And I mean, they're going to just stare at you blankly. Like, I don't think they're going to know what they're saying. Well, they, I don't, I don't think they can. And I think I would guess that perhaps why the California rule is what it is, is 14, which gets you to an age where you should know the difference between a truth and a lie. And you probably can appreciate the consequences of lying in court. Um, but also like calling someone who's very young as a witness and preparing them for witness testimony, I think in and of itself affects their testimony, which is why you have forensic interviewing protocol for, for kids in abuse neglect situations, right? You don't just start asking them leading questions and suggest answers to them and have them be impervious to that. Right? right. And then also to have a kid be subject to cross-examination while both parents are sitting there watching them. I, that's more of a should issue, but I guess the can, could you issue is, can they be a competent witness? And I think a lot of times they probably can, depending on what you're asking them. Right. I mean, you certainly see kids being called in criminal trials to testify about things that have happened to them. Right. Right. It, 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 it just always, <laughs> it's one of those things. And, and I don't know if it's still how people learn or are mentored, but I, you know, one of the earliest things I remember was when, you know, you would talk about either having a child interview or even requesting the court interview a child that, you know, if you're the one asking for it, it's, it's not a great idea. Well, there's right, a, there's a negative connotation that's going to be assigned to if you're the person that's like, I need to have these kids talking. Yeah, I guess. And I think that's more of a should you. And I guess there's a difference to me. What we're talking about is not an in an in-camera interview with respect right. to preference, but having a child as a fact witness. And sir, I can't imagine where a child would be an expert, but I suppose it's possible. Um, but having them testify, let's presume, as a fact witness uh, in an evidentiary hearing or trial sort of situation. Um, and you may have said this, and I may have spaced because the U.S. Open is on right now. But I, I didn't talk about with the Michigan in-camera. No, no, no. no okay. how, how old was the Joe Lee kid that they wanted to have interviewed? I did just talk about that. Were you seriously watching golf the whole time I was talking? No, not the whole time. No, just some of the time. Just 80% of the time. <laughs> It's a major. I didn't get this crap at home, Ryan. It's a major. <laughs> um, then we should have recorded it some other time when there are no sports. No, I'm focused now. It's a commercial. Oh, okay. Um, so I did say the names of the kids. So they have... No, ages. I, I did... No, I didn't say names. I did say ages. Okay. I have a 19-year-old who's emancipated. This is all going to start to sound very familiar. They have a 19-year-old who's emancipated. Good to um, go. They have a 16-year-old... Should a 17-year-old, a 14-year-old, and fine, the 12-year-old twins. So 12 is, 12 is a little bit fringe. Agree. But also, I mean, I think this goes to the should, right? Which is, even if I'm putting a perfectly competent 14-year-old on the stand, what kind of psychological damage am I doing to that child by putting them in that situation? There's a case on point. Um, and I know you're going to be shocked to have me use like a case name. I love I'm, it. 
I love um, it. It's Malloy versus Malloy, 637 Northwest 2nd, 803. <gasps> what? Rebecca, you can cite. Where's the pin site? <laughs> it's 805. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, what the Court of Appeals said was that they recognized that there's an emotional trauma for a child testifying in open court and that there is a necessity to protect the child from openly having to choose sides. Yes. I think, I, I think there are some circumstances where you might need to have a child testify and there's no other way to get in that information, but I, it's less than a tenth of a percent of the time. Correct. Like if you think yours is the case where the kid absolutely has to testify, I can almost guarantee you you're wrong. Right. And I think, look, I think a lot of our discussions today are going to go around the, sh the should, right? The question of not whether, do you need, is it a need or a should, right? What do we always tell parents when they come in, you know, for their early conferences with us and, and even throughout their case, right? That the idea it, of- Do you fill out your forms? Because I ask that. Well, you, make sure those forms are filled out because <laughs> I don't want to talk into. Um, <laughs> You know, the idea of the domestic court is is really, and I think maybe just court in general, right? We, we want to shield, you know, children, right? The idea is that mom and dad may not be at a place where they, A, get along, B, can effectively co-parent with one another. Um, and, and we sort of accept that that's okay, right? We know that we're going to get people in all sort of different states and that, that folks come and access the courts um, when they need help and assistance, right? Nobody goes to court when things are peachy, okay? You're, you're, you're clearly at the courthouse because there's been a problem. And yet, despite that turmoil, the entire objective is to sort of shield the children from that trauma, right? So that they live their lives as if, you know, mom is great, dad is great, and, you know, whatever's happening behind the scenes, whatever's going on in Oz behind that curtain, right. I don't need to know about it because my whole life is yellow brick roses. No, wait. I'll be able to, yeah, it is yellow brick roses. Okay. So um, now I'm like having like this, there was like did a weird movie. That, train of thought? Well, I did because like I was just reading an article about like the Disney sequel that they made about Return to Oz and I've never seen it. And it's apparently like oh very God. like... It's very like creepy, I guess. I've never seen this film. Huh. Have you seen it? Return to Oz? Yeah. No, I can't say that. They I made it in the 80s and it's just, I don't know, very weird. In any event, like I use the Oz as sort of the illustration there. When you decide or you make the decision that I'm going to put my child in the witness chair, you've not only taken the kid behind the curtain, Right now they're right in the middle of it. But I sort of sit there and think if I was a kid and my parents had divorced and I had to, you know, be a witness in their divorce trial or a custody proceeding that happened, you're now a kid sitting in a witness chair and straight ahead of you, if you look to slightly to your left is going to be mom and slightly to your right is going to be dad. Yep. And you've got a total stranger who you don't know asking you a series of questions about the other parent that's sitting in the same room. Yep. You not, somebody come on and convince me that that would not traumatize a child. A hundred percent it traumatizes a child. And I, the reason I say that there's maybe like a, you know, like a 10th of a percent chance that 
I'm going to need that child's testimony as the fact finder and I want to hear it is if what's happened to them or what could happen to them, depending on my decision, would be more traumatizing than putting them in that situation, right? So like severe abuse and neglect where I can't get the evidence in any other way, um, you know, witnessing like severe substance abuse where I can't get the evidence in any other way, including perhaps a hair and nail test. So that would probably tell me more than a kid would. And by the way, then I don't have to traumatize a kid by having them testify if I, like, we just have you go in and give some hair and nail samples, right? right. So I guess, and, and to be clear, there is a mechanism for the court to try to determine a child's preference when it comes to a custody decision. And that's an in-camera interview with the judge and the child if they are of an age where they can express a reasonable preference or they can express a reasonable preference at all. I don't think it's totally age determinative. Different children have different maturity levels and, and, and cognition levels. And I may have a five-year-old who is precocious and articulate and perfectly able to form a reasonable preference. And I may have a 12-year-old who is on the spectrum and nonverbal and cannot express a reasonable preference. It's going to be child determinative, um, but I think pretty universally you can say like four and under, like we're not right. even going to go there. Um, but that is an interview as to preference only. It's not grilling them about facts in the case. It's not asking them about did this event happen or not. Um, it is trying to figure out whether or not they have a reasonable preference about what their custodial environment looks like and perhaps some questions to poke around there and, and see what is driving their preference and whether or not that's reasonable. Right. But I'm not going to be interrogating them or asking them like about, so I heard this happened over at dad's house. Did that really happen? Did you see that? Like, I'm not doing that. Right. Um, but I may say, what's your favorite subject in school? What, like, what are your favorite after school activities? Like, tell me about what your favorite thing is about mom's house or dad's house. And what's your least favorite thing? And, you know, if you had a magic wand and could wave it and nobody would know it was you who cast the spell, what would your life look like? How much time would you spend with mom and with dad? Right. right? So the magic wand and the genie questions are always the best ones. Right. Right. Um, but it, that's a different issue to me than having a kid as a fact witness. So I just want to make sure that's super clear that we're not talking about whether or not there should be an in-camera interview. Right. Necessary. No, this, this entire discussion is about putting a child and calling the child as a witness in open court, swearing them in under oath and asking them to testify before a judge, mom and dad, and a couple of lawyers, you know, as to facts about both parents as they are known by that child. Right. So, and I, in addition to like your, my concerns about the psychological effect of that on a child, also, I think you need to be realistic about how it looks when you are the parent who insists that that happens. Because I, what's the, you're going to know this better than I am. What's the Bible story about the guy who pretends he's going to cut the baby in half to figure out who the real mother is? Is that Abraham? Am I making that up? Why would I know that? Ro because, 
Oh my God, you're going to make me Google it. Um, <laughs> I don't actually know. That one I don't know. I know I know a few of them. Like I know about Jesus keeping the party going with more wine. That was fun. <laughs> That's a totally... <laughs> I know that story. I, and I know others, obviously. But it's no, Solomon. I, I'm sorry. It's Solomon. Solomon. Okay. And that's why we were talking about like the wisdom of Solomon and all that. Okay. So, right. So the, the Solomon Bible story, I can't believe I know this and you don't is that there were two mothers, I believe, who were each claiming that a baby was theirs. That's my baby. No, that's my baby. And Solomon is like, well, I mean, I guess how we'll figure this out is I'm just going to cut the baby in half. And then you can each have a piece of the baby, which is like obviously horrific and terrible. Wait, hold on. Before you continue, is that where the expression split the baby in half came yes. from? Okay. Yes. Um, so... <laughs> so he like goes like he's going to cut the baby in half. And one of the people says, no, no, don't do that. She can have the baby. And he's like, the person who stopped me from doing that's the real mother because only the real mother would stop their child from getting hurt. Right. Are you watching golf right now? No, I'm not. You are lying. I can see you. No, I'm not. There's no <laughs> golf on. There's no golf on. But that's it. That's a hundred percent. But, but, but. I think that is a centuries old tale that has still upheld, right? Because if you are a parent who's looking out for the best interests of your kid, you want to do the least amount of harm to them or see the least amount of harm come to them. Right. And I think sometimes people can't get out of their own way in their zeal to reveal the truth about the other parent, but you're actually revealing a truth about yourself, which is you know, you have not exhausted probably every option um, to get that information into court. And God love you. I hope you have an attorney who deters you or figures out a different way to get that information in. Right. There is a, I'll, I'll nerd out here a little bit on you. Uh, there is a great court of appeals case that came down this year uh, I think it was the Steele case, uh, came out of Wayne County, and it was Judge Haggerty who had was the trial judge on that. And the examination of, of the custody case, you know, went to looking at the best interest determinations that he wrote. And he, to me, still having read the, the Court of Appeals opinion, which which captured his findings uh, on the best interest, I still think is one of the the best ones that I've seen yet. When you talk about, you know, one of our factors in Michigan is, you know, a party's ability to love a child. And, you know, it, it's, it's always one where every parent goes, well, yeah, of course I love my kid. And, and, and Judge Haggerty, hashtag gold digger, um, if you get the reference, you'll get it, um, said in there, mom does love this kid, but mom's love for this child is unhealthy right? Mom is, uh, paraphrasing what you said, mom could not get out of her own way, right? Mom's journey to showing that dad was so bad for these kids was toxic, that, that mom doesn't prevail on that factor because mom's behavior is, is she can't get out of her own way. She's too selfish in, 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 in showing, yeah. right, poisonous, right, exactly. And I said, I, I, I've literally captured that. I'm like, well, what a great, like, what a great way of structuring that and phrasing that because I think that's something that everybody struggles with, whether you're a judge or a referee or even an attorney, when you're trying to present findings on these best interest factors about loving a child is, you know, 
like you said, you sometimes just can't get out of your own way. And, and there's something to be said about that parent that shows up to court and is like, you know, I want to call my child as a witness. I, I want my child to take the witness stand and, and face right. Look, adults don't like being, I've been called as a witness a grand total of one time in my life. And it was not great. It's, it stinks sitting up there. Like it's just not a spot that no one feels comfortable sitting in a witness chair, except maybe people that get paid to be a witness for a living. Um, But most people do not enjoy sitting in a witness chair, being asked questions and having their, let's be honest, you're having your memory challenged. On some level, it feels like you're having your intellect challenged. Um, You're absolutely having your credibility challenged. And now take that and make those that person a little tiny undeveloped human who doesn't know how to process all that and know how that would make them feel. I, I just well, and I think uh, I think most children want to please the person who is directly in front of them. Or a lot of kids are people pleasers. Absolutely. So I, I can't. I'm, I probably wasn't, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> but um, I think they want, and I think human beings in general, but particularly children, want to be helpful want to go along to get along. And also, by the way, if you think for one second that I am watching a child testify that I don't think you have sanded the crap out of that kid before they took the witness stand, of course I think you sanded the crap out of that kid before they took the witness stand. So how much how much mileage are you getting out of that anyway? Right. Right? Right. I'm now thinking about next week's podcast where we'll reveal the top 100 things DeCoster did as a child. <laughs> to antagonize her parents. Um, no, I was a very good child, except for certain anecdotes I can think about that I'm not going to talk about right yes, now. Next week. <laughs> um, but I also think it gets back to a point that you made about sort of best evidence. And that is that nine times out of 10, there is going to be a better way to introduce evidence of a parent's behavior without having to call a child to testify. Right. Right. And that's something that you touched on about, you know, and we've all, look, I think we've all had that, right? You've had an attorney say, I want, you know, the seven-year-old to come in to testify that mom is sitting in her room drinking six bottles of two buck chuck every night. And I'm thinking, I think there's a better way for us to get that evidence. And and it doesn't involve a child coming here to testify about that. Well, right. And this is what blows my mind. And I see it all the time where it's like, well, the kids are telling mom or the kids are telling dad that X, Y, and Z is going on. By the way, oftentimes something that would be observable to, I don't know, a private detective. So instead of spending a bunch of money filing motions that are going to go nowhere because they're based on hearsay evidence of children, and also it makes you look like a jackass for pumping your kids for information, why don't you spend a little coin hiring a private detective to sit outside the person's house and observe and take pictures of the activity that you say is going on, the car in the driveway or the wine bottles in the garbage or whatever. Right. Like, I, there's so many other ways to think outside of the box and get that information in that don't include terrorizing your children by having them testify in court. And I think that goes back to what we touched on a little bit ago, which is sometimes parents can't get out of their own way. Their decisions are, you know, 
it's almost like it's a, I'm too selfish to recognize that I could do this, i.e. hire a private investigator, right? Ask the court to do toxicology reports or drug screens or well, hair you know follicle why? tests. You know why? Because it doesn't hurt the other parent as much to have it not be the kid who's saying that stuff. And, that, and that's exactly what I was going to get to, right? It, it, it's a totally different... It's a totally different feeling if I have, you know, uh, Bob McDougal, who's a toxicology expert, come in and testify about your habits versus the sting you're going to feel when your own child sits there in the witness chair and, and tells the court all these horrible things that I think you've done. Right. Not, not only is it bad enough that they've already seen it and experienced it, but now I'd like you to testify about it in front of both parents so that I get to turn that screw just one extra turn. Right. And, and I'll, I will say this as well, because we, we, we started this a little bit by talking about age and at what age is there sort of a drop off. And, you know, in defense of, of Angelina Jolie, I, I, I will say this. I think we all as parents are always somewhat guilty of because we see our kids the most, because we talk to them every day and we have a relationship with them that nobody else on this planet will ever have. I think most parents are always sort of guilty of subconsciously believing that their kids are older than they actually are. I maybe like I'm your kid on your kid may be 12 on paper, but you still view them as being much older and wiser and more mature than yeah. that. I mean, I get like, I get that, Lots of parents think their own children are the smartest and most precocious and most articulate. And I get that, but I, maybe I'm the exception, but I don't fall into the trap of believing that just because I've got a kiddo who's got a good vocabulary and is articulate and is a deep thinker, that that means that their brain is done because their brain's not going to be done until they're in their mid twenties. And right. Like, think about all the stupid choices, listener, not Ryan, but listener, <laughs> think of all the stupid choices that you made between the ages of 18 and 25 and tell me that you think you were a fully realized human being. I'm going to amend that to 18 and 30. Yeah, no, no kidding. 18 and 30. Speaking of children, can you pause for a moment? See vous play. All right, so we've spent a lot of time talking about all of the reasons that you probably shouldn't and might not want to have a child testify as a fact witness in a case. Let me ask you, and I think we're both probably on the same page with this one, what is a circumstance where you would say it probably is appropriate for a child to be a fact witness in a case? Um, I think where there is uh, something very significant to testify to that is a health or safety issue that was only witnessed by the child and there is no other way to get that information in the door, um, either by implication or other real evidence. And the example that leaps to mind is um, severe domestic violence that was only witnessed by the child and there's no other way to get that information in. And when I say no other way, I'm saying like 
you know, the police weren't called, mom didn't go to the hospital or dad didn't go to the hospital. In the, I don't want to be gender biased, like right. either party can be the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the victim didn't go to the hospital, 911 was not called, there's no other documentation of injuries, um, there's no one else who witnessed um, the child making statements that could be admitted under a hearsay rule exception like an excited utterance or a present sense impression um i think and i i have a real hard time picturing the circumstances where there's not some other way um but i suppose that's the only one i can think of hypothetically i've not run across it i'll tell you that no i haven't either and again i like i said at the beginning i think you and i are probably on the same page with this one because that was the only example as I sort of pondered this topic for the week that I could come up with as well. Was, yeah. Or maybe substance, maybe if like someone's smoking crack and kid can competently testify, like, you know, dad was holding a pipe that looked like it was made out of glass or mom was holding a pipe that made it look. That but couldn't you get a toxicology report at that point? Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, it seems like there's always some other way. Right. For, for, again, for most of these things, but uh, you know, I, I think really the one that sort of stuck out to me was you know, a case of, of domestic violence where the child was the singular witness or possibly the singular victim, survivor. And, right. you know, there well, is... Then we're not in a custody dispute, are we? Right. Well, we might or, be. I, we I, might be in a custody and a criminal dispute. I guess we could be on both those tracks. But 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 it would have to be something like that where, and like you said, you know, I can I can get you know, 911 dispatch recordings. I can get a CPS investigator to testify. I can get an ER physician or nurse to testify about, you know, bruising and physical, um, you know, uh, ailments that are consistent with somebody who's been struck or somebody who's been hit. And I, so I also, if the child's the victim too, I should have said that. Like right. not just presuming that one of the adults was the victim. If the child was the victim and there were no other adults present. Right. That, yeah, the, the, and, and nobody was, con- you know, obviously 911 wasn't called and the child wasn't taken to the hospital right away. It, right. The, you know, the, the- but in those circumstances, though, I really think you're going to get it in a different way as well, because certainly a mandatory reporter is going to have heard about that somewhere along the way mm-hmm. and done a 3200 like they're supposed to. And theoretically, CPS investigates and makes findings and they talk to the child and they interview the child and they use appropriate forensic interviewing protocol and they establish that the child is competent and understands telling the truth and the difference between telling a truth and a lie. They do all of that for you. Um, and, you know, I, there very rarely is there no other way to get most of that information. Would it be more impactful to have the child testify about what happened to them and break down on the stand? Yeah, but is it worth it? Like, I'd rather have you call seven other witnesses to establish what one witness could when it means not traumatizing that kid. And I think that's what the Malloy case is talking about. Like, we really need to make an effort to make sure that we're protecting these kids from having to openly choose sides from going through the trauma of testifying in a court hearing. So are there circumstances? Yeah. But like I said, that I still hold to my like 10th of a percent, probably less. 
Well, and I will also just say in all of the cases in which I either as a hearing officer or as the attorney on the other side had a case where somebody was seeking to introduce or have a child testify as a witness, what we have described was never the basis for the testimony. Same, yeah. Right. It was always, it, you know, it goes back to the, you know, somebody was in their room with their two buck chuck or the child saw, you know, vodka bottles in the garbage. Again, all things that can be proven in another way, right? Because you either have a PI that's taken some photographs or has some video that they can testify about or. Right. Or you call the next door neighbor who saw them like, you know, stumbling and intoxicated in the middle of the day and the kids were present like very rarely is the kid the only one who has evidence about what you're trying to establish correct no i would totally agree so in other words angelina jolie maybe not your best course of action to have your kids testify no that case has gone on for a long is it me or has that case gone on for a long time oh it's gone on for for forever it's years like that whole incident on the airplane thing that i think kicked the whole thing off where allegedly dad was dad is brad pitt by the way dad is brad pitt dad was assaulting (laughs) mom who's angeline jolie and the eldest kid i think got in the middle of it and that I think kicked that all off. And I think the divorce has been pending. Like, I think the only thing that's still outstanding is the custody stuff. Are they still legally married? I don't know the answer to that. It's possible that the divorce was granted, but they're still dealing with custody. I don't really know. I, um, because I don't care about them as human beings. Although I don't mind watching a Brad Pitt movie. Um, I don't, like I'm not really paying a ton of attention. No, I'm not, I'm not either. I, I just, I feel like as much as we sometimes talk about the celebrity stuff, cause it makes for great podcast fodder. I, I don't think either one of us are like getting people magazine delivered to the door. Do people still get paper magazines or is everything online now? It's interesting. You should say that. Cause we, I just did a subscription for, um, someone in our household of a paper magazine. Um, And we don't, we have a couple, but yeah, not like I used to. No, I feel like the internet's really changed the landscape of how we consume. I I just remember as a kid, like getting sports illustrated for kids or way back in the day, they used to have a magazine called Nintendo power for all my other eighties kids out there listening. Right. Or Um, like I used to read 17 magazine religiously yeah. Like from the age of 13 until the age of 15. 41. But oh. you don't read it when you're 17, no. which is the great irony. You read Cosmo <laughs> when you're 17. Well, sure. You graduate to that. Sure. So it can set some unrealistic expectations for you. Right. She filed. I, so now I Googled. She filed in September of 2016. So it's been going on for almost five years. Wow. And, and again, I, it's just from the things that I've heard. I mean, they still don't have a... Did they ever arrive at a final custody determination or have they basically been working off of temporary interim orders? I think that ruling that just came down, which was basically like, no, your kids can't testify. And here's what I'm ruling about custody. That was, that was the end of it. Like in May of 2005. Five, five years. Well, four and a half. 
That's a long time. Well, she's appealing, so it's still not over. She says she's appealing. I don't know if she's actually filed an appeal. Well, I, you know, I hope she can scrap some money together for that because that's going to be pricey. Right. Well, I mean, I guess you can always do another Laura Croft Tomb Raider movie, which I've never seen. Maleficent 3. <laughs> she was very good in Maleficent. I mean, I got to give her credit. She was very good in Maleficent. I didn't see it. I'm yeah. still team Jen. Disney, Disney Plus. That's a whole, that's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast. All right. Podcast. All right. Bye, Ryan. Bye.